VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today we react to England's exit from the World Cup at the hands of France. What next for Gareth Southgate and the Three Lions? We'll also be talking about Morocco, who become the first African side to reach the last four at the tournament as they come past a very unhappy Portugal. We'll talk about the refereeing at the competition as well. This is the Game. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast. I am Hugh Wisencroft alongside Gregor Robertson, Alison Rudd and Tom Clark. There's no one I would rather be with to dissect England's exit from the World Cup at the hands of the world champions and still the defending champions, France. Two goals to one in a game that England had plenty of joy in, would have left with plenty of respect, but ultimately didn't leave with a result. We scored a goal through Harry Kane, as you know, for the penalty spot. He also missed a penalty. Their goal's coming from a, a wonder strike, really, from Aurelien Schumeni and a header from Olivier Giroud. And uh, it was a tight contest, as you might expect, between England and France. England can leave the tournament with their heads held high, but ultimately they are leaving the tournament. We'll talk about what it means uh, for some of the players, but certainly for Gareth Southgate. But I think we begin with dissecting the game, don't we? Because I, I find it very, very difficult to... Um, to weigh some of the opinions that I'm hearing about England. There are people who are in the camp of complete pride and joy in terms of how England played, think they were the better team, just didn't get the rub of the green on the evening. And so there's some people that are very, very positive about England after this. There are some that think England wasted a golden opportunity, think they played well, deserve respect, but, but are bitterly disappointed and, and expect more because they maybe felt... Uh, England should have taken their chances, maybe gone for it a little bit more when they were either at one all in terms of chasing a victory or at 2-1 down in terms of chasing an equaliser. And then there are people like me who think that France just beat England two goals to one, missing some of their best players in a performance where they didn't play well. And so ultimately what we saw were the levels that exist in terms of where England are right now. Um, and it, I still consider that to be a positive viewpoint. I think England would have learnt a lot tonight. Some of those players are playing in this level for the first time. You know, people like Bakayu Saka, you know, they, they haven't had the opportunity to go and, and put their foot forward and they did brilliantly on a night like tonight. We can be massively impressed by what we've seen from Jude Bellingham so far in this competition. You know, there are plenty of positives to take away from this, but ultimately England... We're just a little bit short on the night. And I 
I think they deserve respect in terms of what they did. I, I just think it was one of those days, a very difficult game, which, as we all knew, could have gone either way and it went France's way. Who wants to dissect the football itself? First of all, I'll just say, I don't think any of those three viewpoints you put forward are opposing. I think they're all broadly the same. England, we're good today. It was two good teams. Everyone's going to talk about fine margins. That's the truth. That's objectively true. They missed chances. We're talking about a penalty kick from someone who has... We're talking about pressure. The biggest pressure that you can ever have in football. And the guy who was up there taking the penalty is the man best placed to handle pressure that's worn an England shirt for his generation, basically. And yes, France were missing players, but I, personally speaking, I don't think that the players that they were missing would have strengthened them that much. I think Benzema would have, but Giroud has not been bad, has he? I think France's midfield was, was brill- has been brilliant throughout the tournament. So you can talk about Kante, he's not been fit all year. You can talk about Pogba, he's not been fit all year. So I'd put that third viewpoint in the bin, Hugh. The first two aren't much different either. It's England should be, there should be no recriminations here, in my view. And like, I, I understand I'm Scottish, so it might be easier for me to say this, but there should be no autopsy. There should be no talk about letting off the handbrake or what the substitutions were right or wrong or the shape or the personnel because everything was pretty much on the money and a penalty were a penalty kick away from Harry Kane. It wasn't like some young whippersnapper who came in out of nowhere and you can all like bombard them with either hate or love. It was Harry Kane and ultimately it went over the bar and you're out. That's it. Fine margins in knockout football. But Gregor, that's why those two viewpoints oppose, because the first one I presented are people who are happy and don't think there should be any recriminations. I think England, England, as, as in, yeah, happy is maybe the wrong word. I'm not talking about the outcome, but in terms of how England play, they put their best foot forward, they made us proud, and they agree with you, there should be no recriminations. But there are another group of people that are still pleased with how England played tonight, but think there should be recriminations, pointing the finger at Southgate saying, yeah, do you know what? We should have beaten France tonight but almost saying that the players re- reflecting negatively on the on the situation, let's call it that, whether it be the use of subs, whether it be that the mean? approach. What does that mean? You've got to uh, bore down to it, bore into details. There's no... Well, some people, there, some people say that England, that was the best version of England. That was our best team. That was the best possible performance. And we go away with our heads held high. There are some that played? just feel England, England played well, but should have won the game and should be criticised for not winning the game. Why? Well, I don't see why you should criticise them. Who played badly? Harry Maguire arguably lost the man for, for the second goal. He was trying to pick up behind them when there was Jude was in front of him, and then the people behind him made runs elsewhere. So I would put, I would say that was a flaw. But he's he's been he's performed above and beyond anything we could have ever imagined coming into this tournament, and he played well tonight, apart from that little small lapse which we knew he had. France's defenders were like a bomb scare half the half the evening. Imagine an England defender had just barged into the, you know, the French Mason Mount. Okay, maybe you've got you've, you could criticise him, but they didn't do that. It was very, very fine margins. I even think some of the stuff about closing down too many is like he had no run up. He was shooting from twenty five yards and he's, he's hammered it in the bottom corner. It went through Bellingham's legs again. This is t- this is fractional stuff. I really think you have to just sit back tonight and go. We were unlucky. How well did England play then? Because you sound very positive. Well, your accent doesn't, but you, 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 you know, what you're saying seems to be 8 out of 10, 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10. How, how well did England play? I'll let other people answer that too. I mean, I would say 7.5 or an 8, but I wouldn't say France were any better. It was a draw. You see, I, okay. would, I would say it is possible to analyse the game and 
I would conclude that France were the better team. That doesn't mean I want a witch hunt for anyone connected to the England team. I just think France were cleverer. For example, Griezmann fouled and fouled and fouled, dominated by doing so, got a yellow card. Was he taken off? No, he carried on fouling because he worked out the referee. This was not rash fouling where the manager has to think, oh, you know, might be in danger of going down to 10 men if we keep him on the pitch. No, because that was them thinking on their feet, being able to dominate the physicality of the game. The way England could have dominated the game would be to have... Do we know why Saka came off? Did he pick up an injury or something? Because he was, he was up until him going off, in with a chance of being man of the match because they, they struggled with him. He was winning free kick after free kick. And they didn't replace him with a like-for-like like player. I didn't understand that. If you, if you see your opponent is struggling with those sorts of runs, then surely bring on someone like Grealish, who, whatever you think of him, he will win free kicks in dangerous areas. So that, to me, felt like France were just cleverer at monitoring what was unfolding, how the game was being refereed, what they could get away with. And they looked more dangerous in open play. I mean, England played well, but I didn't, Apart from the Maguire header, which was really unlucky because it was so close and clipped clipped the upright, I felt France always looked like they were going to score from open play really? and England were not. Yeah. I was not surprised when they did. Well, I mean, I think it came when England were on top, personally. Like, only just, but they were they were definitely the team in the sentence in the second half. There were a host of excellent displays. I thought Rice was brilliant, reads the game so well. He's improved dramatically in the last couple of years. But Bellingham, again, just his energy and running and desire and drive, all these things. His volley that was tipped narrowly over the crossbar. I mean, I think Harry Kane, apart from his penalty, was was excellent. He drifted wide in the first half, but he was still linking up with players and he, linking up the Saka and Foden couldn't get into the game. You, you obviously had this ploy to play it down the left wing in the first half to get to pick out Koundé. Couldn't get Foden in the game. Second half, he was in the game and he started brilliantly. The two wingers were causing havoc. And we could talk about substitutions. All, I, I said this throughout. There's always someone else. There's always someone we should have pointed at and said, he, he would have done this, he would have done that because you've got so many talented wingers. Okay, well, can someone, can, if you're being more generous spirited than me, perhaps, but I don't see how a player who wasn't in the best of form anyway takes two flights, one away from Qatar, one back from Qatar, has a bit of turmoil in his personal life. I do not see why he gets on the pitch. Sorry. He's a he's a big game player and and, and Southgate knows him. Didn't do he'd anything, always stepped he's always stepped up for England and Southgate knows him better than us. So I, personally I would trust him in that judgment. It didn't work. But it was um, illogical to begin with, surely. Again, I would trust him to make that decision. I think that's ultimately the thing you've got to step back from tonight and say, I don't think he really made any any wrong decisions. It was just, this was like, you're on the wrong side of fate. Tom, what do you think? Come on, you're sitting there really glow-faced. No, no, Gregor, Gregor, this is, this is incredible because you, I think, were person A. Alison, I believe, is, is person B. I am person C. So, Tom Clark, can you add a fourth dimension to this? I think I probably can, and I'm not sure whether I should because I imagine a lot of people will be listening to this podcast tomorrow. Maybe they won't listen to this podcast at all because <laughs> they perhaps will be feeling how I feel right now, which is gutted. And I'm not a massive, massive patriotic England fan as much as listeners might think because of my uh, rampant love of Gareth Southgate. But honestly, I just, the same as the Euros final, this this team, this group of players, both the way they play and the way they kind of seem to be so bonded as a, as a unit, 
just leave me feeling absolutely gutted. And I think England fans will be feeling the same right now, which is why, as I say, maybe they won't be feeling that tomorrow. And maybe, Hugh, you're right to offer presentations of different sides of analysis and Gregor and Alison, you're right to be picking over the bones of the action and what happened. But I think that that's true. And I think I was working tonight on the uh, editing floor again. The head of sport for the Times is a Scot, like Gregor. And like Gregor, he was very impressed with England. You didn't find it funny that we lost... Johnny Northcroft, chief football correspondent for the Sunday Times, writing today about how England did not deserve to lose. Saka was outstanding and did not deserve to lose, nor did England. But then again, nor did Griezmann and nor did France. That had to, that there had to be a loser was cruel. So there you go. Three Scots all saying that it was harsh on England. And that's, that's perhaps the emotion and the dimension that I can bring to this conversation. Because I just think England fans will feel pretty gutted that this side has been beaten in this way again. Yeah, Greg has alluded to it, but I think that emotion that you're left feeling with, which I think is a big is a big journey for this Gareth Southgate team. This iteration of this England team, you think back to the Nations League, you think about the the feelings of this camp going into this World Cup. A lot of people guessed quarterfinal defeat to France, but I don't think those same people thought they would be leaving the World Cup at, in defeat to France, but feeling completely gutted and a bit heartbroken at the idea that we lost that game. And not angry. And not angry. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I've got a good friend of mine and he'll be delighted because he always listens to the podcast and he and I I have a constant argument about Gareth Southgate for and against. And tonight he messaged our group of mates saying Gareth in because he was delighted that he went with the formation. And again, you know, we talked about it, didn't we, on the show last night about whether he sticks or twists. Hugh, you said you thought he should go to a back three. Alison, you said you were concerned about if they tried to match them up. A um, lot of people have debated it, but actually it worked. We, we controlled the no, game for large periods. It, it didn't work, Tom. So they how, lost 2-1. They oh, lost 2-1, Tom. Don't be that and guy. Don't what, be that guy. Don't what be that you guy. Mean? I'll tell you what, let me finish my point before you go on one of your 10-minute rants. Let, let me finish. Go on, let me finish. It can, it can work and we can lose the game. That, that is true. A tactic can work and you can lose a game. That's all I want to say. It, it can work because we went Kyle Walker up against Kylian Mbappe and other than one 50-50 sprint, which Mbappe just won and pulled the ball back, the guy did pretty much nothing. And we all know the hype that went into this game. I know as an editor of a national newspaper, Christ knows we've done enough features on him. It was all about Mbappe and he did very little. And yes, Griezmann was superb. Giroud's having a fantastic tournament. But you can have a formation that works and lose the game. I don't think you can come back to me now and say, we should have played a back three and we wouldn't have lost. Oh, absolutely. So how would we have won England, the game with a back three then? Let me tell you, England thought they were a lot better side than they are. That's what I was watching in front of me. I was watching a side that is emerging and will be an excellent side and will be able to go toe to toe, but thought today was the day and they were naive in that. They are not yet the side. Oh man, that you can cannot go call them naive for having the, an outplay. That is such an outplay. A, that is such let me t- let me no no. I let you speak for one second. Go let for me it. explain it. Let me explain it very much. England scored a goal through a penalty, through a horrendous challenge made by Shuameni that he didn't have to make, and with more years of experience, he won't make. The second penalty, ludicrous decision from another France defender, Hernandez. If they don't do that, England don't score in that game. They didn't take their chances, which is a huge part of the game. France played badly against England's formation and scored two goals from open play 
And in the end of it, they made one substitution and England, were, four players off the bench, couldn't change the game. Now, listen, people will say whatever they want about me. I, I'm now, I have always been a football snob, as you guys know. But I truly believed England's best bet on winning this game today was to spoil it, keep it tight and try and nick it at a set piece. That was it. If, but, if well, we'd have just what's watched that got to do, what's a horrendous that got to do with the formation, then what's that got to do with the formation? Because, because if the, the, if the formation was the ball and controlled possession and had a France team packed with experience, Gregor we said didn't it need to start, do that. that we needed to win. Absolute... We didn't need to do that. We needed to and win. We, and we picked a team and a formation and a system to try and win the game. We didn't. It doesn't no, mean it's we, the wrong we, form, but formation. A, it, but the reason that we chose that formation and the reason that we believe that we would win playing in that formation is because we think that the team is currently better than it is. When we had six games without a victory coming into the into the tournament, did we think we'd be going to play four three three against the defending world champions? No, no we but didn't. It's been a nice something has, something it's been has, a nice listen, listen, exactly. Listen, I am totally for this formation in the grand scheme of things. But horses for courses, my friends. Today was not the day to go toe to toe with still one of the you know best sides in world football ultimately do you, do you, they, do you listen think, to what i'm do you saying think they played they, well do you think they just answered do you think, think england, they played well do you think no, england and they played scored well? two goals from open you don't play think, you don't think just, england played well sorry no, no, no sorry the, i thought the, you were talking the, about france i thought you were talking about france sorry i don't think france played well the formation the formation would have had no bearing on those two goals one was a second ball from a corner and the first you're talking about open play the first was a foul that wasn't given and then they worked the ball at the pitch. Bellingham got there was Gregor, one thing that didn't really get picked out. Bellingham got barged off the ball by too many, like in the build up to that. He maybe should have just held off and kept them wide. So, so you're telling me that that and then Harry Maguire who lost his, Harry, Harry Maguire who lost his man. If we've got five players playing at the back, you from don't think corner, there's more you, of a chance? You set up from a corner, whatever way you set up, it doesn't matter what the formation is. Okay, all right. And the but first do you, goal. Do you, same. do you think? Do you think England played well? Yeah, I do. And I think France played badly, but you're not listening to what I'm saying. Had England gone out to disrupt France today, to make it as difficult as possible for them to do anything, France still played, you know, Griezmann still got on the ball, and Bappe and Dembele were still holding on onto the ball, doing what they wanted at times. The fact is that we're all looking at it like, well, England had good spells in the game. Yeah, they did have good spells in the game, but I don't care about having good spells in the game. I told you guys I would have absolutely loved... A terrible game, 30 fouls, a Maguire header from a set piece, 1-0 win. I would have taken it all day long. I actually think we went into... The country wanted him to go into the game, puffing his chest out, saying, we're as good as France. And he did that, and they lost 2-1. The reason I said the word naive is, I don't think we're that good. We aren't that good. We have very good players, but this England team could be going somewhere, maybe is going somewhere. But today is not the team to run out. Do you think Morocco are going to just, should we go for it against France next game? I mean, if you're comparing us to Morocco, then we might as well pack up the podcast now. Well, they're better than us. They're better than us. They're better than us. They're better than us. So why would I compare us to Morocco? They're they're better footballers than England, are they? They're better better footballers. Tom, this is about teams. Football is about 11 players. Morocco, at this tournament, who's been better? Any England fan. They've conceded one goal from an own goal in this tournament. They're into semi-finals. They beat Portugal today. Are you going to tell me that Morocco aren't better at this tournament than England? Listen, mate, I'm, a fan of, I'm a fan of the team of the Football League. I'm well aware of the like paradigms of winning games and you don't have to play well. I'm talking about England's performance tonight and the idea that you're building a conversation around France were crap, 
England did all right and we still went out, we should have done something better. I would, if, I would okay, challenge. Let me ask you a question then. Let me ask you a question. If France played well tonight, if France played well tonight, what do you think the score would have been? I think France did play well, quite well tonight. I think England and France were pretty even. I think Gregor's assessment earlier of England being 8 out of 10, I think France and England were both 8 out of 10. And I think it was pretty close. If either of them had gone up a notch, it could have been different. I think if England had England put together far superior passing moves, I think, than France in terms of team moves going forward. I honestly think that was the best knockout game performance under Gareth Southgate in the last three major tournaments, hands down. And I think the idea that we're building a conversation around this is not good, that you can't look at this in some way of being absolutely gutted because the England team performed really well, I just find that slightly odd. And the idea that we could sit here and talk about we should have spoiled it. Alison said earlier that France, and I think she's right, what France had on us is experience in these games, the, the Griezmann cleverness. And you're talking about you wanting us to go out and try and spoil that. the game. That's my point. We but, knew that. So that's that. what I'm saying. Do we not so know that's about what I'm France's experience and cleverness yeah, so, before the game? Yeah, so what you're saying is to try and go and spoil the game is to do what France did. Griezmann fouling all the time. So you actually want us to go head-to-head -head with them in the gamesmanship stakes. And I think we would have lost there. So instead, Southgate and the team went, we're going to try and beat them by being the better team. And I think they were marginally the better team overall. And as Greg, the penalty, penalty kick and some bad refereeing decisions away from losing. I think it's a very strange conversation to be talking about. We should have spoiled the game and played a back three. But, I, but I, what I was going to say was, if, if at this point any brave England fan has decided to listen to a podcast about us going out of a major tournament again and genuinely thinks I'm completely wrong and that we should have played a back three, I'm, I'm honestly fascinated. And I'm not doing that to be like clever, but please, if, any, if, if you're listening at this point, tweet me and say, Tom, you're an idiot, we should have played a back three. But I'd, I'd be fascinated because I, I, I just don't see don't it and I don't me. think that's the move of don't any Don't tweet England's me. Moving. I'm not interested in hearing what you have to say. Don't tweet me. I, I don't I actually care. Think, I actually think it's, it, it's quite sad if people get angry after watching that. Exactly. Think, it was I class. Think, that was mint. They genuinely played really well. I think that it probably said, yeah, I don't know. You don't want to get too deep about it. It's just England always seem to have to find, it always seems to have to be an autopsy, as they say, a dissection of, of the reasons, find people to blame. Generally speaking, it's always the manager. I think that's a sad, sad place to start off with. There's been times where you've probably, not only has that contributed to the performance on the pitch, but it's also meant that it's deserved. <laughs> but this isn't one of them. This really isn't one of them. There was there was nothing in it. Nothing in it. That's all you can say. A, there is such a thing as a team's character, and I don't think it would have worked if England had tried to match France's nous in this one. They, they were streets ahead in terms of game management. Under Southgate, England are are relatively becoming a relatively positive team and giving youth and pace a chance. The disappointment was they weren't allowed to really go for it. I didn't feel, I just thought when Saka went off, those runs evaporated slightly. We, we should have been braver in saying, okay, you're playing one way. We, we're playing another way. We're pretty well matched in terms of who could win this match. Let's Let's unleash more of what we've got going for us tonight. But I don't quite understand the reason why that didn't happen. And that is the, without, I'm not, I'm not being angry. I'm just saying it's disappointing that it didn't end with the flourish it should have done. I have to say, given everything that I've said so far, I think England have had a good World Cup. I think as they're on their way home, I said beforehand that, 
you know, if England got to the quarterfinals, that was par for the course. They could have clearly, as we've seen that the tournament uh, evolve, they could have had an easier draw at this stage. They pretty much got the hardest fixture they could have facing the French and they went out respectively, you know, I, I think so. And and yeah, you know, even though I feel that they could have won by playing a certain way, I don't th- I don't think that they they you know they can take a lot of hurt from this defeat in terms of how they played. Even though I argue Tom, they could have played a different way. There was clearly initiative from from England in this game. There was something that we've all called for for a long time. There was front foot football in this tournament and also today. And there were again some of our younger players gaining great experience playing well on the bigger stage, which bodes really, really well for the future. So I do, I do think England had a good World Cup and I think how would have got a different draw. They were more than good enough to get to the semi-finals, and I wouldn't have been saying that during the Nations League campaign in the summer. So look, like I say, we we, we could dive into it more. I don't think we need to because I was just talking specifically about this game and how I think would have been best for England to get through. And, and when I say spoil the game, I just mean play how they played in 2018, which loads of us thought was boring, but but worked. If it was extra time, if it was penalties that we needed, fair enough. I think just this game maybe required some of that, an element of that really, which, which is why I say spoil the game because it wouldn't have been as pretty as what we saw tonight or as exciting, but maybe, maybe we would have been going through to the semifinals. We'll never know. We will never know. What comes next? Do we want to talk about Gareth Southgate and his future? Do you think the way that England went out tonight was another indication of the problems that we've had previously in major tournaments with him in charge? The president of the Gareth Southgate Appreciation Society, Tom Clark, wants to chime in at this point. Go ahead, Tom. Obviously, I want to chime in at this point. This is where I rip off my shirt and reveal my Gareth tattoo that I had planned (laughs) to reveal for when we lifted the trophy that I was so certain that we were going to do. I want to jump in at this point because I think it's interesting you asked that question after our heated debate because I was thinking about perhaps the most eloquent way I could have summed up my feelings was that um, referencing again my friend uh, who had been team Gareth out for many years now since the Euros. I don't think any England fan, the same fans who would have predicted us going out to France, would also have envisaged us going out to France and then immediately saying Southgate out. I think a lot of those fans... Maybe, dare I say, a large, large percentage of them will now be thinking, give him to the Euros. And I think that is perhaps the biggest indication of the journey, the transformation that this team have made through this tournament and the big steps they took tonight in facing up the holders and probably the favourites at this stage and going, we're going to take you on. We're as good as you. Hey, maybe we're even better than you. And I think he'll win a lot of admiration for that. And I think from that point of view, that's perhaps the best indicator of how I think a lot of England fans will be feeling tonight. I know I often sit on the fence with these things, but I'm going to be like sitting even higher than that this time. I want 24 hours to answer that question. I always envisaged at the start of this tournament that you would either win it and where else is he going to go from there and he would leave or he would he'd crash out using that kind of parlance that everyone expects. And okay, that's it. It's enough. Time to go. So I thought either way, it's, he had to go basically at the end of this tournament. But this was a surprising exit in that I think the weight of public opinion will be this. We're seeing progress, massive progress. We've seen it over a long period of time. And as Vivian keeps saying, there was nothing in that game. You're I'd not saying on the fence. You're no, agreeing no, no, with me. No, 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 no. You're agreeing yeah, well, with no, me. No, You've I'm, been won over. You're what what you're saying. That's what you're saying. I'm hoping that's going to be the, the weight of opinion. But 
you guys, with you guys, no one ever knows. No, I but I I'll agree wait, with I'll you. I wait twenty four hours, and there could still be people saying, "Ah, oh, that's that Gareth out." You know, he should have done this. He should have done that. If you look, take a cursory glance at Twitter, it's already started. I just think in twenty four hours' time, we'll kind of get a better feeling about what the feeling towards Gareth Southgate is from the country because it's important. That's important ultimately, and. You know, I, I, I'd always like him to go just for himself too, just to get a break from it. You know, it's been a long time and it, it's it is the impossible job. Christ, we've just heard that everyone's talking about taking the handbrake off for so long and then you wanted it, want them to put it back on. Uh, Gregor, I want to point you in the direction <laughs> of the small print. We don't pay for your opinions in 24 hours. We pay for your opinions now. So when I ask you if you think, you know, what's going to happen next with Gareth Southgate's future, you tell me now, my friend. Well, for okay? him. Or you return, for the, him. you return the fee. I'm happy to have the money back in my pocket. Okay, after for this. Him, no, purely, purely for him, I think he should go there. There you go. I think I'm England played. No, no, no. I, I think this tournament was make or break for me in terms of Gareth Southgate. I, I saw more than enough from England in this competition to, to think he should stay on as manager till the Euros, for sure. The, the players love him, obviously. There is the, clearly the team spirit. The team spirit is one of the major things that I think has held England back in previous tournaments. There is the togetherness there now. That, like You can see how gutted they are coming off the pitch. You can see with the celebrations, that the pitches that you see in training, how together they are. You know, I don't know if there's another coach there at the moment who's going to replicate that. So why would he leave? You know, for I can understand the personal reasons why, but I, I would say now you have to keep hold of him. As much as I would criticise decisions in games, et cetera, et cetera. I think we are now at a level where if England are not in the quarterfinal at the next World Cup, we would be shocked whether that's Gareth Southgate in charge or not. And that was a period where we thought we had a golden generation, you know, used to be described as, well, they're minimum quarterfinalists at every tournament. I think this team's moved into that category. So under Gareth Southgate and, you know, we're not Brazil. So I, I don't really know what, what else we could want. Like we can't always say win it on or bust, you know, win the Euros or bust, win the World Cup or bust. We're not that nation. Like we, we do need to hit that level of consistency at major tournaments and I think Gareth Southgate's got us there and that will give you a chance of winning it and especially with the young talent that we've got in our team so I'm not team Gareth you know I will always let the facts guide my opinion Tom unlike you but at this point in time I don't see a better candidate so I would argue so you, in favour so of are, him staying so you are team Gareth you are team Gareth <laughs> is what you're saying for two years uh, for two, I'll sign that contract until 2024 and that's it at this point in time but I'd give him the next tournament because I think England would have a great chance of winning the Euros and lifting it in Germany would be... It's in 18 months, exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So why not? Alison Rudd, you wouldn't change, would you? Well, I, oh, I'm torn slightly. I, I feel he managed in between the games very well and his decisions were sensible. Well, I think they were sensible because I agreed with them. So that's always the problem <laughs> with analysing this, isn't it? I thought he did the right thing in terms of sticking with four at the back. I liked him bringing Henderson in and I liked the fact he recognised his importance in different facets, not just as a midfielder, but in what he brought to the younger players on and off the pitch and so on. And I I thought Henderson put in some really unselfish performances, but he still lacks dynamism and speed of thought while the game's underway and he becomes conservative and he doesn't react quickly enough, I think. You know, France were bullying England and he didn't he didn't try and counter it by putting more pace on the pitch. It, it, I don't know. It just seems when it comes to the crunch time after time, when that bit of glory is within grasp, he becomes 
paralyzed slightly. Um, he isn't got the courage of, I don't even know what his convictions are really. So I, I, I agree it wouldn't be a disaster if he stayed because he, the players aren't anti-Gareth and he has a fantastic relationship with them. But it, maybe he needs to change his backroom staff or his, add some new voices to the team because I didn't get a sense that, you know, I, I really felt that the manager that won was Deschamps. He just seemed wilier. It's funny, when, when I, I was watching that in the second half and I knew, you know, I looked at the clock and I think it was like the 65th minute and, you know, everyone will be thinking now because of Gareth Southgate and his changes is an issue, you know, who should be going on? But this was the period in which Saka and Foden were really on it. They'd come into the game, like, particularly Foden after doing nothing in the first half. Saka was good in the first half, but he was really causing problems down the right. So, you know, there's a very, very, very coherent argument to not make changes there. Like, I understand what Alison's saying about the big, bigger picture, but they're the two players you look at. Yes, you could maybe make a change in midfield. You could throw on... He did. He did. He threw on Mount first, I think. You know, sometimes the game unfolds in a way that you don't expect, and it, you would have said probably in the first half, Foden's the first one to come off. And then Foden was doing really well. And some people are saying now that, you know, why did he take off Foden? Why did he take off Saka? That's what I'm saying. There's always another player. He didn't really put a foot wrong tonight. I think that might be it for England. Um, I think we're all, even you, Gregor, slightly sad by the exit. But um, I do think they leave with some pride from the World Cup. I said before, quarterfinals, par for the course in terms of my expectations. And I wouldn't slate them if they reach that and they reach that. And as I said earlier, had they had a different draw, I think we'd be looking at a semi-final once again. So, um... Are we not going to have a quick word about the ref? I know I'm fully buying into this kind of uh, tattooed, passionate Englishman thing here, but that was a, that was another stinker, wasn't it? We talked about the referee in the Holland-Argentina game. It certainly wasn't the finest refereeing performance. And I'm not just saying that from the point of view of a deluded Englishman saying we were robbed, but I would say both from decision-making, but also game management of a World Cup quarter-final. It was another poor refereeing display, wasn't it? Gregor, it balanced. Scott, come on, off the fence. Yeah, he was very poor. I mean, both because sometimes he's, he let let play go when you thought that was a foul, and also because sometimes he was blowing the whistle for things that were like very, very marginal. Jude Bellingham was losing his head in the second half, and you could see why. I mean, again, what he's he's incredible. Just always the one who's first to the second balls to the anything that's dropping, he's there. Even it looks like he's got. 10 yards to make up he just bounced there and somehow gets a foot to it and the referee was a couple of times on him particularly in the second half penalised him so yeah it was poor it was very poor are you suggesting that's why England no are, are no, the, no I, um... didn't, I didn't say that I meant that from a point of view that it's interesting that for a second night on the trot we've got quite an, an exciting in different ways I think the quality in this game was much higher in terms of the football than Holland versus Argentina uh, as we know from yesterday's podcast but Again, the refereeing, which I think actually through the group stages was pretty good, I felt. Now we've hit the quarterfinals and you're talking about all these fine margins, I'd say the refereeing has been pretty poor. And hopefully that improves because you wouldn't want to see semi-finals refereed in the manner that this game and the Holland-Argentina game have been managed. It wasn't a great ref, but I don't, I don't, I just, <laughs> these things happen and France adapted to that better than England. 
there's more to iPhone. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I went to the game a little bit earlier on between Morocco and Portugal, which the Moroccans won by goal to nil. To become the first African side to reach a semi-final at a World Cup, it is, of course, their first World Cup as well. The first Arabic nation to reach the last four at the World Cup, breaking all sorts of records. Incredible atmosphere at the Althamama Stadium. It was, yeah, it was actually quite an emotional, really incredible result. But um, the reason I, I bring that up now is because the Portugal players, a bit like the Argentine players last night, basically think the world is against them when it comes to the refereeing performance. So I wonder if, as we speak, the England players are there claiming that the referee, you know, really wants Morocco to win the World Cup. And that is the reason why the refereeing performance was so bad. Because, I, I mean, yesterday I was saying Emi Martinez should be banned. Bruno Fernandes will definitely be banned for what he had to say uh, after that game today. And it's, it's really weird because... Well, firstly, Emmy Martinez and Argentina actually won. So it was quite strange what he said. But it, it really was sour grapes from Bruno Fernandes today. Portugal were not good enough. They didn't deserve to win that game. And it was as simple as that. I mean, Morocco defended for their lives. They defended incredibly well. They had first choice players missing, injured. Everyone was taped up pretty much, you know, running themselves into the ground. The, the support, I imagine made a huge difference. Portugal just beat Switzerland by six goals to one and they didn't show up today and they didn't deserve to win. And that is just how the cookie crumbles. And I was kind of amazed that their players really had anything to say of complaint at the end of that game. Now, I know Portugal fans are here saying, well, did Hakimi stamp on a player? Well, I was in the stadium, so I didn't see those replays. Maybe you did. VAR clearly didn't think so. Was there a penalty decision that, that Portugal should have had go their way? Again, I, I think they would have been very weak decisions to make. But in terms of the balance of play in that game, if that's what you're clinging to, then yeah, you, you clearly didn't deserve it. So I just think it is all about giving credit to Morocco for achieving something absolutely incredible. And they have to be one of our favourite teams at this tournament, especially as they're better than England. Gregor, what do you think? I absolutely agree. I'm in awe of the way they they defend. It's, it's brilliant. You know, as I said, I've said this in previous shows, sometimes when you see a team, you think about back to the Greece team that won the Euros. Horrific to watch. They just defended. They just got everyone behind the ball. They bored you to tears. They killed the game. You'd have probably liked if England played that way, Hugh. <laughs> this is not a team like that. This is a team that when, yes, they defend deep and compact, but they can also press high when, you know, as soon as they lose the ball, they can press high and they're, they just look brilliantly coached. And when they win it back, they're clever they're incisive, they're brave, they commit players forward. You know, Bufal and Ziyech on either wing, they've got 
some of those players have got a trick, but they can they love to drive inside. Wing backs who are so athletic and can defend. Again, I keep coming back to Amrabat. I've not, it's so rare nowadays to see a central midfielder who sits that deep, who plays almost between the centre halves out of position. And the way he reads the game, and then also the way he kind of springs attacks, he's just—I think—he's been probably the player of the tournament. And then alongside him, Azadin Unai. My goodness, you know, he's come from nowhere. I think until eighteen months ago, he was playing in the third tier in France, and he's still playing for the team of uh, Angers, who are bottom of League One. League One. So, and he's again, he's such an athlete. I think he covered more ground than anyone against Spain and I wouldn't be surprised if he was up there again in this game he's been outstanding as well so look it, I, I agree I was I, I don't know I, was, I felt slightly emotional too watching it because you do feel that this is now something this is now going to be the story of this World Cup we, we spoke about it the other night about as you say the, you know first African nation in the semi-final what this would mean what this already does mean but what it could mean you look at their squad I think they've only got Maybe f- I think there's only four players or something who play in Morocco, a couple in the Middle East. The rest are all spread across Europe. There's only you know a handful who were born in Morocco. This is quite a kind of a story of modern kind of globalized football, <laughs> and they've made a real success of it. And uh, particularly the manager too, he deserves an enormous amount of credit. They just, and we've always said that the team who do, do not concede goals is going to be a team who's going to be very hard to to beat in this tournament. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them. Going another step further again. I thought I thought Portugal played well, Hugh. Actually, I thought I thought they were good. I just thought Morocco were better. I thought Morocco were more powerful and they were more athletic, and they scored a quite superb goal. I love it when attacker hangs in the air for that long. It's like some sort of magic tricks being performed. It was a superb, superb goal, and they could have, if they were able to finish, they would have scored many more because their counter attacks were. They weren't just counter attacks. They were audacious, funny counterattacks. They have long, long legs and they run and they run. And you think, where are they getting the energy from? They, because when you don't have the ball and you're defending a lot of the game and chasing the ball and having to concentrate that hard, you think, well, they're going to be a bit tired. But no, their counters were phenomenal. They are, I agree with Gregor, they're, they're a defensive team that managed to be exciting to watch. But I, I, it's sad that Portugal are being sniffy because they... They didn't play badly. They just came up across the sort of the sort of team I don't think many teams do come across. They're, they're actually a revelation. That what sorry one thing about Alison bang on about the counters that one in the seventy fifth minute where they kind of swept forward from right to left and then back inside and like I think it was uh, Chidira who like well, there was like one more pass away from being an absolutely incredible goal and he tried to kind of chop back inside. I think it was Dallo and, and like Dallo got a of a foot on it that would have been an unbelievable goal that kind of in a nutshell was what this Morocco team are about in attack when they win the ball back brilliant so what you're saying is why can't England play like that I know exactly where you're coming from Gregor to be perfectly honest defend deep (laughs) against a side much better than you and have those incisive counter-attacks with those quality players going forward if only our manager could see football the same way as Walid I can't even pronounce his surname Regogui also they're 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 down to like their fifth choice centre-half now and it still works. Who was man? Like, who was man of the match, by the way? Like, what, Apart from Amrabat, he was unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, what does that say? Something about the the kind of the way they're being, the way they're coached, the way they're drilled, and that also says something about you know that's something remarkable given how a short space of time he's been in the job. But they have phys- not- they, they have a phys- they have their physical specimens that we don't have anywhere else. They look they look different. They run different. They have a different attitude. They are they're phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. 
Well, Hugh, just like um, my dear pal Gareth Southgate, I'm going to take the high ground and not rise to your uh, <laughs> cheap barbs about how wonderful Morocco are. But instead, I would like to know, um, because your adventure in Qatar is coming to an end and you're flying back to us in the UK, and I saw you tweeting about what a magical moment it was, the Morocco fans have been a very special part of this tournament as a whole. Lots of uh, comments that I've seen from journalists out there talking about the atmosphere. Indeed, Tom Roddy tonight writing for our live file talked about the atmosphere at the England-France game. Not just today, but are Morocco fans the, the superstars of the World Cup in terms of a support and fan base for you? Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Like making noise around Doha. They've been fantastic. Morocco... Uh, Tunisia, Argentina fans, obviously. I think they're the, the top three. And Senegal fans who were in small number but in huge voice are probably the, the four fan bases that I think deserve most credit out of this World Cup. But yeah, I mean, inside the ground, you just feel as if you're, you know, you're at a Moroccan home game. I mean, it really was like that. Um, the whistling, you know, at one point in time, I, I knew I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight. I will have ringing in my ears. So will all the Portugal players, though. And that is a good thing. That is what it's for. Maybe it did disrupt them when they had the ball. Maybe they couldn't think clearly. Um, but the way that they cheer, basically anything positive that their players do to the rafters is, uh, you know, it's brilliant. They bring joy. They were bouncing up and down, dancing, singing, drumming. That's what football's about. That's what the World Cup's about. I guess the only sad thing is we didn't see more of it from more nations because of uh, people's different views about the World Cup being in Qatar and whether they felt they could travel here and stuff like that and the fact that it really shouldn't have been here. But um, the Moroccans, many of them who, of course, do live here, I think took, took advantage of that. And, and, and for most of us, you know, most of us who were here broadcasting, we kind of felt for a while that one of the nations with a lot of support would go far because it is, I mean, it's genuinely such a difference between being at a game, which game was I at the other day? A knockout game, and you're thinking, what? I think it was France-Poland. And, you know, when the game started, it must have been a third full and completely silent. You know, and you're just going, wow, this is a knockout game with Kylian Mbappe at the World Cup. And you start thinking about the different, you know, atmospheres that you've experienced. And you start to say, it will, it will make a difference. At some point, it will make a difference. I think it's made a difference for Morocco. I mean, uh, uh, sorry, the England game as well. There were moments in it tonight when I was watching, thinking, "Is this a, this a World Cup quarterfinal?" I, I know it's hard. You know, I wasn't there. It's but you, and you only get a certain impression through the television. But you got the impression with, with the Morocco game. You got the impression of the Argentina game. I didn't see much of that tonight, and I'd be interested to hear from from some of the guys who were out there what what it was like. Because you're right. I think that that does make a difference, undoubtedly, and it didn't feel quite the same. For the other nations, you know, aside from the ones we've mentioned there. I think we were told 9,000 England fans and about 4,000 French fans. And it, I think it's a 60,000-seater stadium. So you get an idea, um, you know, the Champions League final has more fans in it from each team. And that's uh, saying something given that it's 70% VIPs. So you know what I mean? It's just a strange, strange feeling for the World Cup. Um, but I, look, I'm flying back tomorrow. I've enjoyed it. I think those fans, the way that they are around the city, um, has been one of the high points, to be perfectly honest. I now truly believe Morocco can go to a final. They can beat France because of the fact that they are playing a nation. And we spoke about it previously on the podcast. I don't even want to say that they've got history. You know, one of the, the country they're playing against colonized them at one point. I mean, if that is not motivation to go and do something special, just like it was against Spain, then um, I don't know what is. 
And I think if they play exactly the same way, defending deep on the counter-attack, that will be their best chance of winning the game. They'll change absolutely nothing. They have enough quality to win that game 1-0 once again. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet against a Moroccan 1-0 win and an African team going all the way to the final as well. The only thing I wanted to finally talk about uh, before we leave the podcast is the final match. It must be the final match in elite football for Cristiano Ronaldo, who today equaled a FIFA record for international appearances, which I think was a 186. And I think he scored something like 196. Thank you, Gregor. 196. It's not too bad. Is it? He scored almost 120 goals in that period of time as well. And we kind of get we get we get drawn in with his personality and and the interviews with Piers Morgan. As a pure footballer, we we essentially today said goodbye to one of the best players we have ever ever seen. And it's sad to see him go out like this. It should have been better. It doesn't really matter what you think of him. You know, we, there are so many people that want Messi to win this tournament. Well. No one seemed to want Ronaldo to do well. We all kind of, he's become a bit of a hate figure. But again, in terms of pure football, he was irresistible at times during his career. It's been fantastic. He absolutely was. I would say as someone who for many, many, many times and people who listened to yesterday's podcast and heard me slagging off Lionel Messi will think that I'm a team Ronaldo man. But for many, many years, I did admire Ronaldo's progression and kind of make the case as to why you could see Ronaldo as the better player. But I've You've got to say, I know Hugh, you were saying don't don't focus too much about the off the pitch stuff, but as a PR exercise, what he's done in the last six months to, in terms of tainting how he is viewed by the neutral football fan. I mean, you only need to look at how England players and France players after the game reacted with each other, scenes of team you know opposing players consoling each other, and Ronaldo storming off the pitch past Moroccan players without even so much as a like a couple of handshakes just a couple I'm not expecting him to do the full superhero sportsmanship thing and go around every player but that wasn't a great look I've got to say and that is why you find him drifting into the camp of the Luis Suarez's and the Neymar's where you as a neutral you end up finding it quite funny when they don't succeed that's that is I think a great shame for Ronaldo at the end of his career because when he was discussed it was always, is he the best player in the world? Is he the best player we've seen? And these last six months, in terms of his actions, have been such a PR disaster that he's now in in that campus to where it's like, ha-ha, Ronaldo's crying. And that, to me, is one of the great shames in terms of you talking about that narrative of en- end of an era. Because Portugal are out, it's easy to look at the last six months of Ronaldo's career and say he's... You know, he's, he couldn't have managed it worse, but a lot of it was not not entirely down to him. Uh, there are two sides to all these stories. And I have some sympathy for somebody who loses a child and then feels their club doesn't look after them. There are things we don't quite understand, but the, I think the greatest mistake and the reason why a wonderful career will have a horrible postscript is to storm off in an emotional state. It was hard to, to tell what was going on behind his hands, whether it was full-blown sobs or grimacing or what. But the point is, it was so, so selfish. You could not interpret that as anything other than he either felt if only he'd played the entire game, it would have been different. It was it was about him. It wasn't about him going to the fans who'd bothered to travel or consoling the younger members of his team 
or anything. It was it was so self-absorbed. It was unpleasant, actually, that, you know, great people know how to handle loss and defeat. And he didn't come over very well at all, which means I just want to say, can we please end on the beautiful, beautiful note of Bufal celebrating on the pitch with his mother, which is my favourite image of the World Cup so far. That was proper mum and son dancing happiness not caring who who saw it i thought it was absolutely gorgeous it was a special moment actually i was watching down on that and the moroccan uh, players and the relationship with their families they were like beckoning and beckoning them all onto the pitch to take pictures to celebrate with them they have a family feel to this world cup they've got absolutely nothing to lose and i think it is important that we you know not just have an african side but an uh, an arabic side if you like into the semi-finals of the World Cup because it was it has been here at least spoken about the World Cup with such pride by people from this region actually you, you feel it a lot here you you watch I was in you know restaurants and bars when Saudi Arabia were playing and it was genuinely like wow everyone is supporting them everyone wants them to do well and it was the same with any Arabic country you know people here did want them to do well and you feel like they felt like well we finally have a World Cup that we can be into and we can fully take part in that we don't have to feel like we can't go to and be ourselves or that we um, will be persecuted in some way. So um, I do think it's been important for this competition that Morocco have gone far and it's an incredible, incredible achievement. It really is. And something that I don't think many, did anyone tip Morocco to do well? I just think back to the early <laughs> podcasts No, it was just Denmark. Denmark, okay, just Denmark. All Denmark. <laughs> if, you say, if you say Denmark very quickly, it sounds like Morocco. <laughs> yeah, you add a syllable by saying it faster. Okay, it's a uh, stretch. <laughs> I think the World Cup's gone well. We're now left with two very good semi-finals. I think France versus Morocco, Argentina against Croatia as well. One of those teams will win the World Cup. There's part of me that thinks France France are going to win it again. France might win it again. Anyway, we'll talk about all of that next week. Um, day off tomorrow because Woozy is flying back from Qatar. So no more shorts and t-shirts for me. I've been hearing news that it's absolutely freezing Oof. there. So uh, is, is it cold? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I've already I've already got a cold as well to bring back to the UK. So there you go. <laughs> Uh, the thing is, England are coming home as well. Football isn't, but England will be back at landing in Birmingham tomorrow. So sad times, but um, we will have plenty more great journalism from out here in Qatar in the final week of this tournament. Yet yeah, not too far until a new or possibly old world champion is crowned. Between now and then, make sure you check out all of the great journalism on the Times app. You can subscribe to the game, thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. Loads of great writing and I'm sure all of the fallout from England, Matt Dickinson, Henry Winter will be on the Times app right now and in the newspaper at your local news agent. So make sure you pick one up and have a good read. Well, well worth it uh, on a Sunday. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Gregor, Alison and Tom. We'll be back with you on Monday. you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. 
because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns, so you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum.